0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live
1: from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know war what's it good for absolutely nothing yet huawei manages to post a huge sales jump what's in your wallet well better check it capital one suffers a huge hack attack and a mixed grill beyond meat investors have a bit of a beef after earnings were served it's tuesday let's make a move to Tuesday's first move where hopes of a Shanghai surprise amid the resumption of US-China trade talks are rapidly dissipating. I can tell you, prepare for some serious expectation management. Take a look at this. President Trump tweeting this morning, China is doing very badly. Worst year in 27. We're supposed to start buying our agricultural product now. No signs they are doing so. That is the problem with China. They just don't come through. President Trump Followed that with, quote, my team is negotiating with them now, but they always change the deal in the end to their benefit. He went on to accuse China of ripping off the United States. Later today, something else to watch. We've got Apple numbers, too. Watch the China shipments there. Perhaps no surprise amid the noise already this morning that futures are softer here. The Nasdaq, the worst performer. It's also, of course, day one of that two-day Federal Reserve meeting. The bottom line is we've got a whole host of risk events, as we've been saying all week. Seeing these markets pulling back a bit from record highs makes sense to me at this stage. It's not just about the united states of course this week what about the bank of japan i want to draw your attention to this too they cut their inflation and their growth targets yet again overnight promising more stimulus if required remember that interest rates in japan are already in negative territory and the bank owns over forty percent of all japanese government bonds there is a cautionary tale there i believe for the federal reserve though given what i just said about the trade situation you could argue that they have a lack of choice here too It's not all bad though, it's just complicated. Let me explain and we'll get to the drivers. Trade war? What trade war? Huawei's revenue rocketing up some 23% for the first half of 2019. Sales hitting nearly $60 billion. Cherise Pham is in Shenzhen Forest, the home of the tech giant. Interesting, of course, Cherise, and great to have you with us once again. This is a private company. They don't have to give us information, but they're saying today, look, we're doing okay. They don't have to give information, but they do want
2: to show a strong front, right? In the face of this U.S. trade blacklist, in the face of the U.S. curves against the company. Huawei is coming out today saying we are still growing. We are still the leader in 5G technology, but they are uh, acknowledging that there are a few cracks showing. Uh, So Chairman Liang Hua striking a bit of a defiant tone today, but also saying, look, we are fighting for our survival and there will be challenges ahead. Have a listen to what he had to say.
0: Our business result for the first half was quite good and we achieved steady growth but objectively we still face difficulty ahead and for the second half and next year we'll still face these difficulties.
2: So there are going to be some difficult times in the second half and moving into the first, uh, into into the next part of uh, into into part of 2020, and that does jive with what Ren Zhengfei, founder of Huawei, said last month, where he said that we are going to miss sales targets by $30 billion over the next two years. But that's not the story that they were telling today. At today's earnings report, they were saying we've got $58 billion in sales revenue. We are up 23% over the year. We have seen a little bit of a drop in our overseas mobile sales, uh, smartphone, mobile units. But overall, we are still strong and we are surviving. And this is China's tech champion saying, we we are gonna keep growing in the face of this US trade ban.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things in here for me. To your point about the the worst-case scenario here that we could see, if they see an entire ban from the United States, because we heard that fact from the head of security too, and he said, look, it will be bad, but we can manage it at this stage. But I'm just looking at whatever else is going on here. Canal is issuing a report today saying that despite the 6% downturn more broadly in the Chinese market here for for smartphones, Huawei managed to grow market share to 38%. That was a 31% year-over-year increase. So even if we look and we forget the international business here, they're showing signs of strength amid a softening market in China too. And actually, that feels important at this stage as well.
2: It is really important. The Chinese smartphone market is gigantic, and Huawei has a massive portion of it. They were the they were the only ones to show, I believe, double digit growth in uh, the second quarter of this year, when a lot of other major smartphone makers were posting declines in sales. Uh, but Huawei smartphones are becoming are going to be a lot less attractive to overseas buyers if they're not going to have access to U.S. tech, namely Google's suite of services. If you don't have Android operating system and you don't have Gmail and you don't have Google Maps, it's very unlikely that a smartphone buyer in London or in Spain is going to want to buy a Huawei smartphone. And so even today, they said, yes, we are growing in China. We have taken a hit in our markets outside of China and we would prefer, if possible, to continue using US tech, and that means that we would conti- we would really prefer to continue to have access to the Google ecosystem,
1: but it will be up to the US to decide whether that will be the case. Yeah, it's such a great point, and they were only added to that entity list at the back end of May, so it's only a tiny fraction, really, that they've had to deal with here, which is important for these numbers, too. Cherise Pham, great to have you with us, as always, and great outfit, of course, we match once again. All meant. All right let's move on to our next driver capital one suffering a massive hack attack involving 100 million customers and credit card applicants a 33 year old american woman has been arrested christine romans joins us on this story christine great to have you with us Hi. A fascinating story not only for the fact that capital one suffered this breach but for the woman involved and the fact that she was a known hacker and actually made little effort to
3: uh, hide the fact. Yeah, a software engineer who at one point had been working for the cloud service company that, uh, that, that this company that Capital One was using. And you, look, in a court appearance yesterday, a uh, local media say she put her head down on the, on the desk, uh, in, in sort of in disbelief that this was happening here. But you're right. She was on social media talking about what she had harvested. That's what the complaint says here. And this is what we know here. We know 140,000 140,000 social security numbers, a million Canadian social insurance numbers, 80,000 bank account numbers, and we know an undisclosed number of credit scores and account numbers and account balances. Uh, that was what was harvested from this information. This was information that Capital One apparently had, was moving onto the cloud. You know, this is one way that you can do business faster and you can grow faster by moving so much of this data onto the cloud. But then it raises these questions of security. It was an ethical hacker, apparently, who had sort of alerted uh, the company that this was a problem. And uh, Capital One says it happened about March 22nd or March 23rd. This is what the company says about the breach. The largest category of information accessed was information on consumers and small businesses as of the time they applied for one of our credit card products. So imagine small businesses and and regular Joe consumers from 2005 to early 2019. Uh, So this is another example of how your information is just out of your hands. I mean, I really think it's fair to assume, if you look at the number here, this is one in three Americans would be exposed, many Canadians as well. Uh, You're talking about basically making the assumption that between uh, Marriott, uh, between uh, Home Depot, between Target, between Equifax, between all these other names, you your information is probably out there
1: yeah and the worrying thing for me is this happened many months ago As you said this uh, this hack attack I mean this was a woman who was listed on a social network called meetup and she listed hacking and cracking right. as uh, part of the interests of the group yeah. here and that's how the FBI found her I mean we're clearly not doing enough in terms of these big companies to protect data
3: accurately and for, for Capital it's- One specifically here this is not the first time You know, and the companies have not been punished on the market either for these. When you go back and you look at some of these companies that have suffered really terrible hack attacks, they've raised the scrutiny of Congress, but their stocks are up over time pretty big time. Now, right now, you're going to see Capital One get punished there. its stock is down 5% right now uh, in in the pre-market, in part because the more we have these, you risk Fatigue among consumers, but anger among lawmakers, uh, and and more regulation. I would just tell people, and as we all have said, people who cover money, you know, check your statements religiously. Uh, don't rely on the company to alert you if something is wrong. Although Capital One says they will tell you if you have been if you have been breached here and and what to do about it. They're going to give free credit monitoring. You can freeze your own credit at Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, and most. Uh, financial personal financial experts say, you should do that. Don't trust these companies. They make money with your information. They make money. They're, they're, they make money with your information and don't get punished enough when something bad happens to it and change your passwords often. That's what couldn't, that's the only thing you can do. Couldn't agree more.
1: We have to police our own data because no one else will. Yep. Christine Romans, thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on to Beyond Meat because that's seeing a pretty meaty tumble pre-market despite reporting soaring sales in the second quarter and raising their forward guidance. The stock did, though, close up some 788%, I believe, since their May IPO. Claire Sebastian joins us on this story. This is interesting. Um, The shocker here, it seems, for investors was the news that the company plans to sell shares of some three and a quarter million three million of which
4: are current shareholders. Interesting timing. Really interesting, Julia, just three months after their IPO, long before the end of the lockup period, which ends at the end of October. This is an opportunity uh, for existing stockholders to cash out, to take advantage, perhaps, of that meteoric rise in the stock price that you've seen. And among those cashing out, is the CEO and founder, Ethan Brown. He's offering about 39,000 shares, uh, which uh, at the current price will net him anywhere between seven to eight, uh, even more, perhaps a million dollars. So uh, certainly a bit of a windfall for him. Uh, but this is why we see the stock fall. It's diluting existing shareholders. Although the company does say uh, that it will use the proceeds of the quarter of a million shares that it's offering uh, as new shares to, to pay for things like building out its uh, its supply chain, manufacturing capacity and, and other working capital things. So that uh, potentially a positive as we know that this company uh, is is on a real growth spurt its uh, revenues you saw this quarter uh, up some 287% so it does need the extra cash to, to keep up with that demand yeah, they're just not raising that much because uh, it's uh, about more about profit-taking
1: at this stage. But, you know, my view on this actually is, given the meteoric rise that we've seen, meteoric rise that we've seen, um, why not take a bit of money off the table? Shareholders have done, and those that have invested since the IPO have done well. But um, controversial, as you can see. But I think if investors really cared, Claire actually would see the shares down more, not 10% compared to the 700% plus rise that we've seen since the IPO. Talk to me about the numbers,
4: though, because these these were pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. There's a lot to like uh in this quarter, Julia. As you said, uh revenues up some 287%. They hit 67 million. That's a lot more than was expected. They also raised their Year guidance, they had been expecting sales of 210 million. We're now up to 240 million. Management also saying that was a flaw. That's a conservative estimate. The loss they made uh, was wider than expected, about uh, 9.4 million uh, in terms of a loss. That's up from 7.4 million uh, in the same quarter a year earlier. But you know, this company again is, is, is one of those high investment, high growth companies. They are expected to make a loss for a while. But they did say on an annual basis they expect they kind of operations before you factor in, you know, taxes and, and various other expenses to be profitable. That is something that analysts were quite focused on. But of course, the big question that we had on the call is how are they going to, uh, you know, make sure their capacity keeps up with their demand? They've got a lot of different partnerships out there, a lot of big brands. Are they going to be able to keep up their production? And the CEO did say that they, they expect perhaps some one-time uh, shortages, but nothing compared to what they've seen in the past. Yeah, such a great point, particularly if you're trying to do it a
1: deal with someone like a McDonald's. You've got to ensure you've got the network and the supply there. Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. All right. Let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that we're following around the world. In northern Yemen, an airstrike on a market has killed at least 14 civilians, including four children. A Houthi spokesman blamed the attack on the Saudi-led coalition, while the Saudi-backed Yemeni government said the attack was the result of rockets fired by the Houthis. We're learning new details about the vicious knife attack on an Italian police officer allegedly carried out by two US teams. Authorities say he did not have a weapon when he was stabbed. However, he would not have had time to use it even if he had have done. Police say the officer was trailing the Americans after they allegedly stole a bag from a man they'd approached about buying drugs. Police in Brazil have dropped the rape charges against football star Neymar due to lack of evidence according to Record TV. A Brazilian model alleges Neymar attacked her in a Paris hotel room on May 15th. Neymar has consistently denied the accusations. US rapper ASAP Rocky has pleaded not guilty as he goes on trial for assault in Stockholm. He was detained following a fight in the Swedish capital. The artist, whose real name is Rocky Meyers claims he was acting in self-defense. His case has attracted wide celebrity support, including from President Donald Trump. The trial continues. All right, we're gonna take a quick break here on First Move, but coming up, we unbox retail's latest disruptor, how the online bulk business could mean big competition for e-commerce giants. It's no longer man versus machine inside Microsoft's billion dollar bet on the company building superhuman tech good. That's coming up. Stay with First Move. You're watching CNN. first move. We're looking at a slight pullback here in the U.S. markets as we open up for the second session this week following the pullback that we saw of course in Monday session two. There's nervousness out there. So many risk events as we've discussed. Trade talks are kicking off in Shanghai. Just one of those and the tweets from the president already dampening expectations. He said that China's not begun buying U.S. agricultural products despite promising to do so. Chinese state media of course said they had. So a bit of a contradiction there. Also another big day for earnings as well. Shares of P&G, Merck and Eli Lilly all higher pre-market following earnings beats. Apple is going to be the one to watch later on after the bell. And of course, what happens with that stock in tomorrow's session too. What about in the currency markets? Because we're still seeing some pretty significant moves there for the UK pound, falling further on increasing fears of a no-deal Brexit come October 31st. We're now sitting at a two-year low against the US dollar, hovering around that 121 level. Also, in fact, losing some ground against the euro too, despite an Expectations of further easing from the European Central Bank. Anna Stewart is watching this for us. Anna, it's pretty simple here. The hard line stance that we're seeing from Boris Johnson as he moves around the country is uh, making investors sit up and recognise that perhaps we could
5: be heading towards or a higher probability here of a, a no-deal exit. Yeah, we're certainly seeing the market adjusting, aren't we? It's down around two and a half percent against the dollar. Uh, That is sterling, of course, since Boris Johnson won that leadership contest last week. But it potentially has a lot more downside to go. Speaking to um, Peter Dixon, economist at Commerce Bank this morning, he says the market is not adequately priced in a no-deal risk. And that's despite the fact that the EU remains absolutely intransigent about opening the withdrawal agreement, at least that's what they say publicly. Uh, We were told yesterday by Downing Street that the Prime Minister won't even meet EU leaders unless they agree to reopen the withdrawal agreement and remove the controversial Irish backstop. So potentially we have a lot further to go. And let's see the bottom of the pound in a no-deal scenario. Anywhere between a dollar, a ten and parity with the dollar. And it's not just currency, Julia. Also fixed income. We had 10-year gilt yields. They fell to their lowest level on Monday since 2016. Plenty for Bank of England to mull over on Thursday.
1: Yeah, interesting. So at least some, some significant downside too if this likelihood or the probability continues to be priced here. I, I mean, just looking at the strategy, you've got to convince the EU that you really do mean it if you're going to try and no deal exit on October 31st, or he has to try and steal voters from the Brexit party with a hardline stance if he's forced to call a general election because he can't get a better deal. I guess that's the bottom line here.
5: Yeah, is that the ultimate strategy? Because dude was the ultimate strategy last week. D, deliver on Brexit. Uh, e, Sorry, you, Unite the UK, D, defeat Jeremy Corbyn, E, enter his country. But maybe that last E was really for election. Now, all the British media are reporting something of a Boris bounce in the polls. The Prime Minister said he doesn't want to call a general election until he's delivered Brexit. But perhaps, as you say, he is forced to, to push a no-deal Brexit over the threshold. Julia?
1: Yeah. Anna Stewart, thank you so much for that. All right, let's bring it back to Beyond Meat now because we were talking about this earlier on. Shares down some 14% pre-market at this moment. The plans to sell more stocks, spooking investors a little bit here. But, of course, they upped guidance and Q2 sales look pretty strong too. Santosh Rao is uh, head of research at Manhattan Venture Partners and joins us now. Fantastic to have you on the show. So you invest in companies pre-IPO. Absolutely. You pass on Beyond Meat and we'll discuss why you chose to do that but what do you think when you see a company before the lock-in period has ended deciding to sell more stock three months after it IPOs
6: that's totally normal I Is mean it? uh, yeah it's not uh, nothing wrong with that you know because stocks run up 700% so it's still entirely uh, possible or good that they are cashing out; they are uh, getting some liquidity, but that doesn't mean anything bad. I mean, it's like the the stock I, to the fact the fact that it provides more supply. That's been the big problem with this stock: the right. supply-demand imbalance, the scarcity factor. I think, to the extent that this brings more stock to the market, that's good overall in the end. But, so,
1: but for those that are saying, you know, they should have done less than a three million versus a what 125 um, actually fresh stock new newly issued stock here. Um because maybe they should be raising money that could be pumped back into the business. Is that a valid argument here, or are people just bitter perhaps that they didn't invest in uh, Beyond Meat after the IPO? No,
6: I don't think that's an argument. You know, it's totally fine what they're doing. There'll be more shares coming to market in October when the, when the options expire, so that'll provide more liquidity. So that's what we've seen with that with our portfolio companies uh, when the IPO expiration, when the lockup expiration happens, there's a more supply, the stock pulls back, then it has to resettle and all that. So I think. I think all this thing is totally fine. It's in line with what we expect with new companies. Uh, And the fact that this company is doing very well, I think uh, it takes away any negative factor about selling early. Um, so I think that's fine. These are the early investors that, that, that have been around. So providing some liquidity is totally fine.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of on your side. This is a 10-year-old company as well. For some yeah. of those that didn't actually cash in at the point where it IPO'd, this is about actually um, taking some profits here yes. and taking some money out, perhaps buying a house or something. <laughs> Who
6: knows?
1: Why didn't you invest? in well, Beyond
6: Meat. Yeah, I mean, we had so many other options, Right. and there was no visibility. We thought it's just a new area, uh, very nascent. Uh, we didn't know whether it was a fad or something that will catch on. Do you still so, know
1: whether it's a fad yeah. or whether it will catch on? Because those that look at this and say it's completely overvalued argue that it's still faddy, and it's not going to grow the same way as perhaps plant-based milk has become, what, 10% of the market?
6: No, I think there is a market for this. Right. Uh, it's a very small percentage of packaged meat. Right now, it's roughly 2%. there's a huge market ahead there is the people who are they don't eat meat they don't like meat and there's a whole generation the millennial generation that are environmentally conscious and they like health food and all that stuff so this kind of plays into that market so I think overall there is a market but let's just see I think valuation is way ahead of itself needs to pull back needs to rationalize and there's new competition coming in so the markets not factoring that in already so I think all that considered I think the discount little bit of pullback is what
1: when you say a little bit, what do you mean? Because if I just put this into basic numbers, this is right now a market, two, three billion dollars. The market cap of this one company is fifteen billion dollars. Yeah. Now to me that says that's way more than a growth Stock
6: or a growth opportunity? That's completely bonkers. Yes, it is. Define I mean, little pullback. <laughs> well, the stock that's growing, the revenues at 300 percent. Okay, um, okay. You can give it little premium right in the beginning. Let them execute. So far, they have executed. So mm-hmm. I think the market will give them the benefit of doubt. But trading at 30 times sales is not warranted. So it needs to pull back to maybe like 15 to 20 times. So wow. you're looking at you know roughly around 100, 120 bucks per share wow. would be uh, that would be more rational can be justified but then we've seen with these startups you know they are they have tremendous potential ahead the markets betting on the future and this company is the most public branded name out there pure play I mean the other guys it's are coming lack in Lack of lack of options I think that's what's driving it the scarcity factor and the fact that it's a premium company in a growing market that's all coming playing into play
1: what's the most exciting segment that you're investing in right now because you've invested in things like Spotify Lyft SpaceX I mean it's a hugely exciting part of the market. What do you think right now, and are valuations perhaps even before these companies get to market too high?
6: Valuations are kind of rationalizing a little bit. Uh, our next big thing is Airbnb. We are big in uh, Postmates. Uh, we have a few other smaller companies. Uh, there are a whole bunch of companies out there, niche companies, a lot of enterprise software companies. Those right. are very, they're below the radar. People don't know about it, uh, unlike, unlike the B2C companies. So there are tremendous opportunities out there. The valuations are rationalizing now. The market is more, uh, when the bankers are more prudent, they don't want to go ahead of themselves. Which I think is a good thing. Which is a good thing. I think overall, I think this whole pullback is good.
1: We're going to get you back to talk Airbnb, among others. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Plenty more to come on the show. The Market Open is next. move and the opening bell this Tuesday session a lower open for U.S. stock markets as anticipated. Uh, Some concerns about over the refreshed trade talks today following a new series of presidential tweets criticizing China. And of course, as we've mentioned many times, the beginning of the Fed's two-day policy meeting as well. That rate cut expected tomorrow, of course, too. We also had some uh, fresh signs of tamer inflation, of course, important to point out. The closely watched PCE price index here in the United States rising just a tenth of a percent overall in June. It came unchanged year over year at 1.4. So that's a long way away from that 2% target. We've got another key inflation number released, if you remember, on Friday, showing prices still below that 2% Fed target. That gives the Federal Reserve ammunition to ease, clearly. All right. let me walk you through our global movers today as well. Capital One, as we've already mentioned on the show, the credit card company reporting a major hack. More than 100 million customers and credit card applicants were affected, social security numbers and bank account numbers were stolen, as well as addresses and phone numbers. The hacker, in this case, a 33-year-old American woman, has been arrested. Armor Also in focus, the apparel giant reporting a $17.3 million second quarter loss. Revenues also coming in below expectations. And it issued weak forward guidance for North American sales too. Procter & Gamble, better earnings and revenues for the consumer project giant, beating estimates here, raising its growth outlook for next year as well. Investors liking what they're hearing there. And Merck also higher. the drug giant reporting better than expected earnings and revenues. They raised their earnings and revenue guidance for 2019. All right, let's move on, because now we're gonna talk about retail. A startup has managed to box up and ship one of Amazon's top executives. The former head of Amazon business, Prentice Wilson, has joined the wholesale Retailer Boxed. He's the first president of the startup company, and he joins us now. Print is fantastic to have you on the show. You had huge, huge success at Amazon, building up their their business area into a ten billion dollar business. Tell me why now? Why shift to Box, and, and what you see specifically here that presents an opportunity?
7: Yeah, I think Box is in an amazing spot. They're in an area that's just now starting uh, disruption, and it's a huge segment when you think of consumables and the breadth of consumables. And as I looked at the Box team and met them, they have a super strong technical team, yes. and they're super well positioned, and they built an amazing service. And I think they're they're in a good spot to uh, to drive a similar level of growth that we saw at, at Amazon. You
1: know, we've had the CEO of Boxed on the show as well, and you know he's brilliant, he's energetic. I think he's a great leader as well, which is something that stood out. But I think one of the key challenges, and I asked him the question too, is you know you've got. People like Costco, Walmart joining e-commerce, offering similar kinds of products. How do you continue to differentiate
7: yourself? There's a, there's a lot of innovation going on right now, and it's about the innovation. And it's, it's not it's, about the product, it's, necessarily. It's, it's, it's about the technical innovation yeah. and then the product, in t- terms of how do you make it great for the consumer and how do you really focus on that right experience. And I think Box has built something magical. Our customers love the experience. When we see a lot of growth, we see a lot from our existing customers. And when I'm spending time in the fulfillment center, I see uh, really nice basket building you see a lot of boxes going through with lots of items and that's hard to do through e-commerce but the box team has figured it out
1: do you see Amazon as a competitor now you know I
7: think this this segment is so large there's a lot of different ways to approach it and box has sort of figured out it's niche and we've been able to focus very clearly on that and I think there's a long runway there
1: Uh, the Treasury Secretary of the United States, um, Stephen Mnuchin, making some quite eye-opening comments last week. He said that Amazon has destroyed retail. As as someone who's just left Amazon and now working for someone else, do do you see Amazon as that kind of huge threat and has created that kind of damage, in the words of F. Steve Mnuchin, because as a, as a part of the whole retail market, it's still a tiny fraction, even if it's huge as a, as a part of the e-commerce market. Yeah, I think,
7: I, think, I think just what you said. It's a very, very large market, and there's a lot of opportunity, and I think technology has really changed the way people buy, and Amazon just levers that technology, and there's a lot of opportunities for companies to come in and innovate. And we can look at things in a variety of ways and approach it different ways, and there's a huge opportunity, both to support existing companies that are out there trying to sell, as well as drive additional growth. So
1: this is a great point. Does regulation of some of these big giants like an Amazon help you as a smaller player, do you think, in the end? You know, I just focus
7: on our customers. My thinking is the best way to help us is to focus on our customers and focus on getting their experience right and supporting the brands that we sell through and just scaling the business.
1: So you have to be careful, though, to find a balance between regulating and not suppressing innovation. Because every time I ask you a question, you mention the the innovative power of this of this company that's right so that's the balance that's
7: what it's about and if you get the right team that can build something special like the box team has and you can continue to innovate on behalf of customers in that way that's all it's about you do that well and it just runs
1: it's an interesting time though to go from a a huge powerful company to work for a a smaller one however exciting the opportunity is what made you decide that just on a personal level what made you decide that, that I, now is the
7: time yeah you know, i um i built amazon business from scratch to a 10 billion dollar business and growing a team from just me as the first employee to scaling it is super exciting and i see an opportunity to do something similar at box and when i look at where box is playing the size of the segment is so large, uh, if we get it right and stay focused, we'll see a similar level of growth.
1: I saw a quote from you. You said, Amazon Business is a rocket ship. So what's Boxed?
7: I think it's a similar rocket ship, <laughs> but one that turns a lot faster. Oh, I really? In some ways. A nimble rocket in ship. In some ways, that's right. Oh,
1: interesting. Prentice, fantastic to have you on the show. Thanks. Thank you so yeah. much. Prentice Wilson there, of uh, president of Boxed so let's move on online retail sometimes means lower prices But some shoppers are starting to worry also about the environmental costs like big delivery trucks that guzzle gasoline and add to carbon dioxide emissions well daimler says electric trucks that they build means it can be done in a sustainable way and be a sustainable business John terrace investigates
8: On this edition of the Global Energy Challenge, German auto giant Daimler is revolutionizing its truck division. This is Mercedes e Actros. The woman at the helm believes this is the future.
4: The CO2 emission is really zero. Um, Now if you look at the energy consumption, if the energy is green energy that is charged into the battery, then it's zero as well. So this is huge.
8: This innovation from the world's biggest truck maker is made possible by changes under the hood.
4: Development of electric trucks since around about five years and we see a rapid development for the batteries
8: until the 2021 launch. What was created in the lab must be tested on the street. Potential customer, Arne Richter, Inc., is ready to do so. From the production to the warehouse, to the customer itself, everything you need is logistics behind that. His company's drivers are on local roads every day, servicing the click, buy, and arrive culture of today's shopper. German research house, Agora, says 38% of road emissions in Europe come from heavy-duty vehicles, so change is vital. As a logistics company, we have to think of ways where we can use the technology to help our nature, our environment. But we're only at the beginning of the e-truck revolution. Longer distances will require a shift in policy. If society
4: wants e-mobility, and if they want as fast... Here we all need to contribute, so it would help if if governments would invest uh, into infrastructure as well.
8: Daimler moving ahead with e-trucking. More First Move, just ahead.
1: Welcome back to the show, tweeting and speaking. President Trump on his way to Virginia this morning, but he did speak to reporters on his way out of the White House. Let's listen in.
9: Negotiating with China. Uh, we'll see what happens. We're either going to make a great deal or we're not going to make a deal at all. But uh, a lot of great things are happening, and including with China. Uh, our country has gone way up in terms of its differential. We're the number one economy in the world. It's picked up tremendously in the last three years since I've been here. So a lot of great things are happening. A lot of really great things are happening. The economy is through the roof. I guess we'll hopefully get good decisions from certain branches of government. We'll see what happens. But we have a lot of good things happening. Uh, We were just speaking with the Department of Commerce, and we have interest in our country like we've never had before. How does it work? How does it Mr. President, do you regret hurting
7: Baltimore?
9: No, Baltimore has been very badly mishandled for many years. As you know, Congressman Cummings has been there for a long time. He's had a very iron hand on it. It's a corrupt city. There's no question about it. All you have to do is look at the facts. Uh, The government has pumped in over the years billions and billions of dollars to no avail, to absolutely no avail. Uh, Baltimore is uh, is an example of what corrupt government leads to. Billions of dollars have been given, and I feel so sorry for the people of Baltimore. And if they ask me, we will get involved. But we're already involved from the standpoint that over many years, billions and billions of dollars have been given to Baltimore. It's been misspent, it's been missing, it's been stolen with a lot of corrupt government. And as you know, uh, Cummings has been in charge. Now, I will say this, I think that representative. Cummings should take his oversight committee and start doing oversight on Baltimore. He'd find out some real things. China, <laughs> China
3: how <does> the <laughs> talks today? And on the Fed, what should the rate cut be? So the talks
9: are moving very well with China, but they were often with China. But China always makes a new deal at the end, or seems to. Uh, we're taking in billions and billions of dollars from China in the form of tariffs. Our people are not paying for it. China reduced their currency. They devalued their currency. And they're pumping money into the system in order to pay for it. They had the worst year in 27 years. They've had a terrible year because of the tariffs. A lot of companies are moving out of China. You've never seen this before. The United States is doing phenomenally well. and we're taking in tens of billions of dollars for from China. We're giving some money to our farmers who have been really targeted by China to do a number of them, and because they like me, the farmers like me, and I love the farmers. And I will say that the farmers are very grateful. The most they've ever spent on agricultural product is $16 billion. So when they pulled out, I took just a small part of the money that China's paying us, and I gave it towards the farmers, and the farmers are very happy. The a point rate, the Fed? A point rate the Fed and up for you, sir? The Fed moved, in my opinion, far too early and far too severely. It puts me at a somewhat of a disadvantage. Fortunately, I've made the economy so strong that nothing's going to stop us. But the Fed could have made it a lot easier. I would like to see a large cut, and I'd like to see immediately the quantitative tightening stopped stopped. for them to have done quantitative tightening and also higher interest rates simultaneously, I think was a big mistake. I also think that had they not done it, as good as we've done, we've set a record, as you will tell, as you will say, in the stock market. We have the all-time high in the history of the stock market. I think I would have been 10,000 points higher, and I think we would have been in the fourth with GDP. President Obama had zero interest rates. We have normalized interest rates with zero interest rates anything happened and yet we still blew his economy away. Was it a mistake not retaining Janet Yellen? I don't talk about that. I just uh, I'm very disappointed in the Fed. I think they uh, acted Too quickly, by far, and I think I've been proven right. People have said I was right, they were wrong. The Fed is often wrong. The Fed is often wrong. The Washington Post called Mitch McConnell what? I think the Washington Post is a Russian asset by comparison Mitch McConnell loves our country. He's done a great job. We're trying to pass an infrastructure bill. It's being written up right now as we speak for our highways and our roadways. Mitch McConnell has gotten more judges than probably any. I mean, in all fairness, with my help. But as a combination, we've got up, we're going to be up very soon to 179 federal judges. Nobody's ever seen anything like that. And other than George Washington, we'll end up having the highest percentage of judges put on the court, and it's gonna be a legacy. Mitch McConnell is a man that knows less about Russia and Russian influence than even Donald Trump, and I know nothing. So I think it's a horrible thing when a paper, which is really just a paper for the benefit of Amazon, the Washington Post, is fake news just like the new york times is fake news it's put there for the benefit the washington post of amazon that's my opinion and i think it's a disgrace and if they actually said that i didn't read it if they actually said that that mitch mcconnell is an asset of russia they ought to be ashamed of themselves and they ought to apologize I think right now, I am watching, I think right now it will be Sleepy Joe, I think. Um, I feel he'll limp across the line, that's what I think. So what I think doesn't mean anything, but I know the other people, I know him, I think he's off his game by a lot, but I think personally, I think it's going to be Sleepy Joe. I think I'm helping myself because I'm uh, pointing out the tremendous corruption that's taken place in Baltimore and other Democratic-run cities. All you have to do is look at the past mayors in Baltimore, see what happened. No, I think I'm helping myself. And I'll tell you what, the White House and myself and letters and emails and phone calls have received more phone calls than I think on any other subject of people from Baltimore and other cities corruptly run by Democrats thanking me for getting involved. Those people are living in hell in Baltimore. They're largely African-American. You have a large African-American population, and they really appreciate what I'm doing, and they've let me know it. They really appreciate it. And by the way, the numbers just came out. Unemployment for African-Americans is the lowest it's been, the best numbers, meaning in the history of our country, the lowest in the history of our country. But people have called from Baltimore thanking me so much because all that money that's been spent over 20 years has been stolen and wasted by people like Elijah Cummings. Well, I have a great relationship with Brazil. I have a fantastic relationship with your president. And he's a great gentleman. He was here, as you know. In fact, they say the Trump of Brazil. I like that. That's a compliment. And by the way, I think he's doing a great job. It's a tough job, but I think your president is doing a fantastic job. He's a wonderful man with a wonderful family. Yeah, we're going to work on a free trade agreement with Brazil. Brazil's a big trading partner. They charge us a lot of tariffs. But other than that, we love the relationship. Are you uh, concerned about the health of Russian Opposition Leader? The what? Russian Opposition Leader Alexei Navalny, who apparently might have been poisoned while in prison. Have you heard about that? I don't. I've heard about it. I don't know about it, but I'll find out about it. This is new. I heard about it last night. Are you concerned about the rational nomination? You have Democrats and Republicans who say Trump oil Well, John Ratcliffe is a brilliant man. He is a wonderful person. Uh, I spoke to him long before about this, long before, months ago. I spoke to him long before the Mueller fiasco. That was a fiasco. I think probably nobody in the history of Capitol Hill has embarrassed themselves like what Mueller did to himself and to the Democrats. But John Ratcliffe, I spoke to him about this for a long time. He's a very talented guy. He's a strong man. It's what we need in that position. I am the least racist person there is anywhere in the world. When con men, who I you know almost all my business life, because I had to deal with him, unfortunately, in New York. But I got along with him, Al Sharpton. Uh, now, he's a racist. He's a racist. But when people, when people, let me explain to you. What I've done for African-Americans in two and a half years, no president has been able to do anything like it. Unemployment at the lowest level in the history of our country for African-Americans. Nobody can beat that. You look at poverty levels. They're doing better than they've ever done before. So many things, Opportunity zones criminal justice reform. President Obama couldn't get it done. It was done, really, the biggest beneficiary probably is African Americans. I got criminal justice reform done. President Obama couldn't get it done. No other president was able to get it done. What I've done for African Americans, no president, I would say, has done. Now, I'll say this. They are so happy because I get the calls. They are so happy at what I've been able to do in Baltimore and other democratic-run, corrupt cities. The money has been stolen, what they've done. It's been wasted and it's been stolen. Billions and billions of dollars. And the African-American community is so thankful. they called me and they said, finally, somebody is telling the truth you think there will be a trade deal with China before November 2020? Well, I think the biggest problem to a trade deal is China would love to wait and just hope. They hope it's not going to happen, I hope. But they would just love if I got defeated. So they could deal with somebody like Elizabeth Warren or sleepy Joe Biden or any of these people because then they'd be allowed and able to continue to rip off our country, like they've been doing for the last 30 years. China has been taking out hundreds of billions of dollars a year with our country. And now what I've done with the tariffs is, number one, they had the worst year they've had in 27 years. Yesterday's Wall Street Journal. The worst year in 27 years. Companies are leaving China by the thousands and their prices are coming down. And I will tell you this, China is dying to make a deal with me. But whether or not I'll do it, it's up to me. It's not up to them. What do you think China can give you this week? What? Just this week, what do you think you can get China to give you in negotiations? Well, I think China's willing to give up a lot, but I, that doesn't mean I'm willing to accept it. I think if China had their wish, They'd wait till after the election, they'll pray that Trump loses, and then they'll make a deal with a stiff, somebody that doesn't know what they're doing,
8: like Obama and Biden,
9: like all of the presidents before. Because what they've done is they've just picked our pockets as a nation. That's not happening with Trump. That's okay. Well, I think if that's the case, I'd be shocked. But if that's the case, they're fighting against their people because the African-American people have been calling the White House. They have never been so happy as what a president has done. Not only the lowest unemployment in history for African-Americans, not only opportunity zones for really a big, uh, the biggest beneficiary of the inner cities, and not only criminal justice reform, but they're so happy that I pointed out the corrupt, politics of baltimore it's filthy dirty it's so horrible and they are happy as hell so you may have a couple of politicians boycott but it's all a fix it's all a fix the fact is african-american people love the job i'm doing because i'm working for them i'm not working for the politicians Absolutely. It's, uh, what he should do, what Elijah Cummings should do is he should take his oversight committee, bring him down to Baltimore and invest all of it and really study the billions and billions of dollars that's been stolen. It's been wasted. It's been stolen. They ought to take that beautiful waste of an oversight committee, go down to Baltimore and other Democratic run cities. And take a look, see if you can find the billions that have been stolen. My relationship with Kim Jong-un is a very good one, as I'm sure you've seen. Uh, We'll see what happens. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I know one thing, that if my opponent was president, if she won, you would be in a major war right now with North Korea. And we are nowhere close, so we'll see. I have a good relationship with him. I like him. He likes me. We'll see what happens. At the right time, I'll visit. But the people of Baltimore are very thankful. They have let us know by the thousands of people, Because of the fact that finally somebody is pointing out how corrupt Baltimore is, how billions and billions of dollars have been stolen. And the ones that like it the best what I'm doing are African-American voters. Those are the ones. Thank you.
1: Well, a wide-ranging briefing there from President Trump. The top line here is he was defending criticism of his tweets regarding Baltimore and political corruption there, so not backing down, and said China's dying to make a deal, but we'll have to wait and see whether they can. More analysis in the next hour. You've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness